Look at my butt. Show number 260 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Look at His Butt. That's right. About William Shatner. Oh, you know, one thing that I forgot that I was going to do, I wanted to listen to, well, uh, here's a plug for it. Our good friend Maynard oh, went to see Bill oh, in Australia. Oh, yes. I listened to it. Did you? Can you tell me about it? Because well, it totally slipped my mind. Yes. Please. No, Maynard <laughs> was so great. He, um... He went to this, and he interviewed the people waiting to get in. Oh, brilliant. And it was, you know, just really funny. And um, a couple of them, you know, were women sounded like about our age, you know, <laughs> going to see Bill and very uh-huh. excited. And uh, and he mentioned us. He said to somebody, well, you have to, you know, I can't do the Maynard accent, but you have to listen to, to look at his butt, these two women – uh, he said something like, uh, they caught on really early or, you know, like, we, <laughs> you know, like when we first even watched first episode of it ever went, look at his butt, which uh-huh. we probably did. So yes. it was very clever. It was very Maynard. You know, uh-huh. I was really hoping because he's a celebrity that, mm-hmm. you know, he would interview Bill, but he was there in the line. He had on his favorite William Shatner tie. And yes, I saw the picture. <laughs> so it was delightful. It's, I don't know, four or five minutes, you know, but oh. it's it's very cute. I enjoyed it. That is great. Well, I, w- once I actually listened to it, Maynard gave us permission to splice some of it into the show, so I might find some good sound oh, bites to Oh, okay, to drop great. In. Well, thank you, Maynard, for the plug yes. and for always, you know, sending us wonderful things. And... Yeah, and for keeping up the faith all the way down in Australia, you <sighs> That's know. That's right. It's important. It, it yeah, is. It's, this world synergy going on. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, Speaking of William Shatner, who's a very, very busy man. Oh, yes. uh, Going to Australia. um, Last night, he appeared at the Grand Old Opry. I know. That's amazing. Just because. So he wasn't just appearing. I mean, he was performing there. Mm -hmm. um, And it's because of his album, the um, Why Not Me? Isn't Mm -hmm. that what it's called? Yes. Okay. And I don't know what song he performed, if it was that song or if it was a different song. But, I have no idea. Um, he, he mentioned it on Twitter, and mm-hmm. the Grand Old Opry tweeted about it. Um, I haven't been able to track down a video of said performance, but I'm sure there will be one eventually. But he looked good. You know, mm-hmm. he was uh, dressed all in black. He had on his leather jacket and a black shirt, and he looked really good. Did he um, have on a cowboy hat? He did not have on a cowboy Bill. hat. Yeah, well... <laughs> He looked more like cool than anything else. I oh. think he's um, changed his toupee and hair a little bit. Mm-hmm. It looks like he's added more kind of natural gray in it, which I think oh, is a good look for him. Good, looks, good. He looks pretty distinguished, yeah. So that was cool. Um, I found a little interview that he did a couple days earlier. So he's doing the rounds of media for the album, the country and Western album or country album, I should say, and also this performance. And so this was a, a short radio interview, just about five minutes long where um, they talked about the album and how much fun he had recording it and how thrilled he was to be performing somehow like straight off the bat, 
the guy started, the interviewer started asking him something and, and Bill immediately started talking about um, being a vegetarian and how he used to be a vegetarian. Right. And now there's this um, fake meat that you can buy in the store. Uh-huh. And Bill said, and I understand that they make it by basically duplicating the digestive process of a cow. It's <laughs> like, what the hell so are you it's digested about? grass. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what he's I like. I think he read something or got told something and only half processed it because I don't <laughs> think that has anything to do with how they make this fake meat. Has but he? Has he tried it? Has he eaten any of yeah, it? Yeah, he said it's good. Oh, um, really? Okay. Yeah, I think I had seen him tweet about it once before. All right. Um, and so he then was saying that he had been a vegetarian for a long time and slowly got back into eating meat and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, just trust Bill to take the conversation in a completely <laughs> different, you know, talking about how they make this fake meat that he doesn't really understand how they do it, but he's going to hold forth about it. That's anyway. right. That's, That's right. Bill. <laughs> so um, I'll put a little link into that interview in case okay. people would like to hear it. So that was very good. Um, and he's also going to be finally on Big Bang Theory. Yes. Coming up, I think it might be this Thursday here in the U.S. I'm not mm-hmm. absolutely positive. And we know very little about it except it's a Dungeons and Dragons themed episode. Yep. And uh, Will Wheaton is in it, who's practically a semi-regular. He's a fairly (laughs) regular guest star. Mm -hmm. And um, now you you found out who the other people were. One was Kevin Smith, who I love. Kevin Smith and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for some reason. Like, I don't know what connection he has, but he's definitely going to be on here. Mm -hmm. And then an actor named Joe um, Manganiello. um, And he is in some show called True Blood. I don't know that show and I don't know him. probably Vampires. Probably vampires. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's going to be there. There was a picture from the set when they were filming it because um, he and Kaylee Cuoco are friends, obviously, because they used to do the Priceline stuff. Right. And she sort of had her arms around him. And, mm-hmm. uh, they looked very happy. So, you know, he's he's still doing everything. Everything that comes his way, he's <sighs> doing it. Yep. Yep. As always. So okay. there's, you know, plenty, plenty mm-hmm. to... Uh, to binge bill on, you know, not to mention getting out all your old Star Trek and Boston Legal DVDs and, you know, Twilight Zone things. Well, I tell you, um, I want to talk about Tech War in a little bit, but I'd like to hear your movie reviews before we get to that. Okay. So um, last weekend... I snared my, uh, what is she, 12-year-old niece into Mm -hmm. coming for an overnight so I'd have a kid to go with (laughs) to see the kid who would be king Uh because I had seen the coming attractions and I thought that looks like fun and I like King Arthur type things. Mm -hmm. So the two of us went, I think she, she was pretty bored, you know, just, Mm. you know, not, not really into it, but, um, you know, anyway, so it's a fairly mediocre movie, but it had... A couple of really great things. First of all, everybody in it is British. So I was very happy it didn't somehow move to America. Okay. Uh So that was that that. was a very good move. And um the kids do a great job of acting. The lead is the son of Andy Serkin, 
Am I getting his name right? Oh, it's Circus, the guy who was Gollum. Gollum, yes, yes. Oh, how Look. interesting. Wow, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know he had kids. And yeah. second, I didn't know that they were acting. Okay, he cool. looks a little like him. Hmm, Just okay. a little. But anyway, um, the, the standout thing was, first of all, how they did the magic. Um, because Merlin's in it. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But, but you know... It's a it's a, a kid who looks like he's about sixteen, and mm-hmm. he is a good actor. He's going places. He kind of has a Benedict Cumberbatch look. He's taller than the <laughs> other kids and thin, but um, very funny. But when he does magic, instead of like waving his arms and saying magic words, you know, it's all this very fast hand and finger work of snapping and clapping and cracking Ooh. the knuckles and everything. I mean, it's it's very impressive. You know, I, I think they might have dubbed some of the sounds. But so <laughs> that was really cool. Well, <laughs> the thing is, he, um, to turn into an owl, which is the thing he turns into every now and then and flies off so that they can have the quest on their own, he does it by sneezing. <laughs> and then suddenly there's an owl. And it flies away. Well, then the owl shows up every now and then and sneezes and turns back into Merlin. But it's not always the kid Merlin. It's old Merlin played by Patrick Stewart. Really? Oh, I didn't know Patrick Stewart was in it. And he is good in it. He's very Mm -hmm. good, you know. And, uh, you know, so he, um, I was reading an interview with him and, you know, or about the movie. And it was saying, you know, he kind of shows up when the kids need some adult guidance you know <laughs> uh-huh. but um the 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 place they stumbled plot wise was um at the beginning i think it's merlin tells him anyway you know and it's said in in this year and they're saying your world is a mess you know your your water is polluted your air is dirty your ocean your icebergs are melting and your ocean's going to flood everything and blah 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 and so i thought that should be the quest you mm-hmm. know, at the time we need him most, Arthur returns. Well, he isn't a reincarnation of Arthur, but he does have the sword. Um, instead, the quest or mission was that Morgana, which is what they call Arthur's sister, mm-hmm. um, has been uh, deep beneath the earth for, I don't know, a thousand years or whatever, and she's coming back. And she's mm-hmm. going to destroy everything. Why? And s- Why does she want to destroy everything? Because uh, she's evil. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so, so that was the quest, and you know, so they accomplish it. Like I say, all the acting was good, but the it's just somehow a little flat. But still, I did get a huge kick out of the Merlin and the magic thing. H- how does an owl sneeze, though? I'm well, to just kind of, you know. I don't know. It, it you know does something with its head, and you, you when it turns into somebody else, you catch on. You know. Sure. <laughs> I, I would like to see an owl sneeze. Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny enough when dogs and cats sneeze, but um, <laughs> yes. an owl sneezing that would be cool. Right. I'd like to see that. So you know, it was fun. It did have some some lovely lovely moments in it. Um, and it, the other thing is, this was one of the best things. Honestly, when I think about it, there were two bullies at the school, a, a blonde guy and a girl. 
and they were the bullies, right? Mm-hmm. And they kind of, the, the story kind of plays fast and loose with the Arthur legend. But um, they say one of the things he did was turn his enemies into allies. And mm-hmm. I don't know that he ever, that I ever heard that. But anyway, the, the Arthur kid, who it's basically him and his best friend, and they get bullied a lot, turns the bullies so they're on his side. So it's not about he defeats the bullies, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought that's a that's a good message. It is. It totally is. Yeah. yeah. I, it yes. It's. Um. I think a, a more modern take and a really good take mm-hmm. that shows like let's let's try to cooperate if it's at all possible. Right. Right. And one of the, the thing I was reading was so funny. It said when Merlin shows up and he's King Arthur, I mean, he's uh, he's Patrick Stewart. You know, mm-hmm. he's not in the robe. He's not in the pointy hat. You know, he's not in any of those things. He's dressed very, you know, comfortably sort of raggy. And then the, <laughs> the article described him as having bed head, which he did. You know, his hair is like... <laughs> Not like all over like a wild man, but just messed up, you know, and the, it was, you know, it was good that way. And it was also that young Merlin didn't quite fit in with everybody, you know, he was like um, making shit up. As he went along, you know, he has to introduce himself at, you know, he's a new student in the school. And he goes, my name is Merton. <laughs> you know, I mean, just, you know, there's some nice stuff. but That's cool. Um, that's great. Um, I'm glad that you got some good stuff out of it. Uh, as you were talking, I was thinking about a movie I saw before you get to your next review. This okay. like the movie review section. Yes. I went to see Into the Spider-Verse. Um, oh, uh, okay. And it was great. Everybody said it was great, and uh-huh. it was. And it had um, a lot of the the whole theme of it was we need to learn to work together. That's what made me think of it. Like for you saying that this was about yes. turning the bullies into your friends. And um, this wasn't so much about like all enemies are can be turned to you, but it was really about the value of everybody having their own thing that they can do and mm-hmm. coming together as a team and working together and not isolating yourself and for a spider-man movie that was kind of weird because you know spider-man typically is a guy who works on his own yeah and that that's like his whole deal is that he's one guy and so this movie was about all these different spider people having to work <laughs> together and it was it was hard for them all to cooperate with each other but it was really really good and visually it was amazing it was sort of overwhelming all the color and sound and light uh-huh. and everything that was in it. So, so yeah, it, it was really good. So there's a gang of spider people? Well, the movie is called Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, and um, okay. much like an episode of Doctor Who or Star Trek, <laughs> um, there, there was a big machine that caused... Uh, different multiverses to open up and the the spider people from different universes all came together to defeat a common enemy mm-hmm. and it it was taken from stuff that happened in the comics and all the characters in it were were from different spider-man comics that have happened over the years okay. and um yeah it was great and i thought of you um because they had two characters who were minor but really good um one was spider pig um <laughs> no! who was, 
who was voiced by John Mulaney, uh-huh. who I really love. And his it was very like Warner Brothers cartoon character thing. He has a big mallet that he carries around. But then there's another guy whose name is Spider Noir, and he's in black and white, and he has a trench coat over his Spider-Man costume. <laughs> and he was voiced by Nicolas Cage. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it was really good. He was really, really good. He was doing his sort of like gruff, I've seen it all, Raymond Chandler voice, and it was excellent. <laughs> Um, getting back to Spider-Pig, did they have a, a guest appearance by Homer Simpson to sing Spider-Pig? They did not. I oh. wish they had, but it was, it was, it was really good. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Nicholas Cage. Oh, that must have just been the cherry on top of the sundae. <laughs> it was, it was. They were the vocal performances were all really good. They did some gender swapping of a few characters that was also really good, and there was no romantic subplot, which was also great. Um, Peter Parker, Spider Man, his Aunt May was played by Lily Tomlin, which was oh. awesome. Yeah, oh. so it just it was like stellar voice acting all around. They picked uh-huh. just the right people for all those roles. So, um, if anybody has any interest in those kinds of movies. It was. It's not a kids' movie. Like it's not aimed mm-hmm. at six-year-olds. It's definitely for, you know, everybody to see. And it, it was a little overwhelming as far as flashing lights and bright colors and stuff. So if that mm-hmm. kind of stuff gives you a headache, you might want to wait until it's on TV. Because in oh. the theater, it was. It was a lot. It was, it was a, lot. a lot to take mm-hmm. in. Okay. So there we go. I'm sorry to hijack uh, your movie reviews. No, that's okay. See, we, we, we are doing a movie review section. We are. Okay. We are. So this afternoon, I went and saw. The Wandering Earth, mm-hmm. which is a Chinese science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. The only reason I knew about it was I happened, you know, to be skimming through the news on my iPad, and and up came a movie review by Roger Ebert, who's dead. <laughs> and as soon as I read some of it, I went, okay, I'm going to go to this. So I didn't read the rest. I will have to. But he's, he, you know, he was giving it a positive review. So I thought, I will go. Mm-hmm. So I went. And uh, big points for it for only being two hours long, because <laughs> I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, the visuals on this were really well done. Oh, good. Really well done. Have you? And it was at the end when they're showing credits that I recognized a name, and it, I can't pronounce the name, but it's the author of, was it The Four Body Problem or The Three oh, Body? Oh, yeah, the, the Three Body Problem, right? Like I, So uh, this was based on a novella, and I have it, and I haven't read it. It's okay. like sitting in my to read pile, but yeah. So I like him as an author. I okay. think he's very good. Yes, yeah. and I read The Three Body or The Four Body, whatever it was. Anyway, but you know, I didn't know it was by him when I went in, but apparently. You know, it said based on, but he also had a small role in oh, it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. how interesting. Okay. Now, um, the, th- the thing is, I'm not going to give away the plot since I think you probably want to see it or go read the novella. But mm-hmm. um, it's, it, went, it goes by very fast. And I think I missed a few things that might have been plot points from reading the uh, subtitles. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was that was a, a bit of a distraction, but um, it's it's a real real interesting idea. But I have to say, basically, this is pretty much your standard science fiction movie, mm-hmm. in that the Earth is in danger, <laughs> the the United Earth Government Council, whatever it is, but it seems to be set pretty contemporarily. 
um, comes up with this incredible plan that they are just, they're going to move the earth to a safer spot. Oh, the whole planet. The whole planet. The whole planet. planet. And, And they put all their resources and everything into the technology to do this. And um, is, that's all I'll, I'll tell you plot-wise, but in some ways this movie, I did get kind of lost, mm-hmm. and I was expecting some explanations of a few things that really never showed up, and so I think if there was some actual science behind some of this, they're either assuming we know it, which I don't, <laughs> or we don't care, which I do, or they just didn't want to write a bunch of techno babble, mm-hmm. you know, if they were making it up or if it was real. So things like happened and you just had to go along with it. And what started to bother me was around the middle, it became almost like dreams I've had where you're in <laughs> one place and there's a huge problem. And then suddenly the huge problem goes away and you're in another place. And then you're back at the first place and the huge problem's gone. And I'm like, well, how the fuck did that happen? And then, of course, Ooh. towards the end, you know, there's a lot of action, not annoying action. But, you know, things happen that should have killed the people it happened to. But they're still alive. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end of the movie, where, of course, they are successful in solving the big problem they had, uh, there were people alive that I'm pretty pretty sure were dead the last time I saw them. Hmm, okay. Okay. Hmm, all right. Still lots and lots of interesting ideas, good performances. (laughs) One other thing, they went overboard on this. For me, you can get away with maybe one of these per movie, and I swear there was a minimum of four. And that is someone's dying, and they get to make a speech. And they die right after the last word. Isn't it incredible how dying people can time it like that? I know. Wouldn't it be great if, if, I mean, I'm sure this has been done, but I can't ever remember seeing it where somebody's in the middle of a speech and they just die. Just croak. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, or thinking of, you know, the Monty Python reading the stuff on the wall. Yes. (laughs) He must have died while carving it. Yes. But yeah, anyway, that's far more um, realistic. I don't know if it's a cult classic or anything. Now that I'm home, I have to read up on it a little bit. But, you know, there are a lot worse ways to spend the afternoon. And I was there with um, all these young geeks. I think it's the only mm. person of my generation there <laughs> that I saw. And it was pretty full. Oh, that's great. Well, I hope it's successful. I know that um, they're really trying to establish like a science fiction industry in China. And mm-hmm. they've got quite a number of good authors whose works are now finally being translated and available in the West. So that's, right, that's extremely right. cool. I'll, well, and I'm in the, have to read it now. In the past couple of years, some of the, the, the most memorable or mind-twisting movies I've seen have come out of Asia, like from uh, Korea and mm-hmm. Vietnam. And I, I'm just really glad that these things are available, you know? Yes. Me too. We need different perspectives. Yes. Oh, and Very also important. some of the, the subtitling was not quite what it should be, but, you know. I was Actually, I was going to ask you about that, how the mm-hmm. subtitles were. Yeah, some of them were a little kind of off. Make or break but, or. Right, but you could, you could tell, you know, what, mm-hmm. it was, what it was meant to say, so. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool. Very good. Well, thanks for that. I, I 
was sort of peripherally aware of it, but I think mm. I'd like to read, read the novella and then go see it. That sounds like a good thing. Well, when the name came up on the screen based on the book, I went, oh, that's where I'd heard that title. Because mm. one of my initial reactions was, what a great title. <laughs> you mm. know, mm-hmm. so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks for that. Um, you've told us about a, a good science fiction movie. Now I'm going to tell you about a bad science fiction movie and book to go with it. Oh, boy. So... I never read Tech War, because why should I? Yes. But, um, <laughs> Tech War, for those of you, I mean, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this knows, so I don't have to give you the whole thing, but um, it was a book that Bill wrote in 1989. It was published in 89, mm-hmm. and um, he then subsequently wrote uh, nine. It was the first of that nine novels. That many? So, wow. Yeah, he wrote okay. eight more after. Now. As we know, Bill doesn't actually write books. No. He, he sits around and he watches other people type. <laughs> as and he has said. <laughs> as he has himself said. So the person that he got to, to ghostwrite this was a real science fiction author named Ron Goulart. Now, I know his name and I've never read anything that he's written. Um, but the, <laughs> the interesting thing about Tech War is you can clearly see which parts are Bill's and which parts are not Bill's. Uh-huh. Having read Bill's other books, like I am sort of familiar with his style and the mm-hmm. style of his nonfiction books, or even of like, like that terrible FBI in space book yes. that I read a little while ago. It's like you can really tell where Bill is. So, so Ron Goulart as an author has a lot of writing tics, which are really, really apparent in this book. Mm. The only reason I read this book was because. They read it for the Bad Book podcast that's called 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back. Oh, yes. I remember you telling, yes. talking about that podcast. Okay. Which uh, which is done by Mike Nelson, uh, formerly Mystery Science Theater, yes. now Rift Tracks, and the other, uh, Connor Listoka, who's also a writer for Rift Tracks. So they take it, um, they just do this as a podcast now where they read these bad books. And so they read Tech War. And I thought, all right, I never read this. This is my chance to actually read it. So I did. Mm-hmm. And it's not good. <laughs> it's okay. just really not a very good book. The weird thing about it, um, I, I can see Bill's idea, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like he's really attracted to the, the idea of a, a, main, a protagonist who's like an ex-cop or some authority figure who's sort of been disgraced and then he has to come back. And it's, you know, it's like TJ Hooker or any of his other like characters that he's played where the guy's a real iconoclast. He doesn't play by the rules, but everybody respects him and he's very virile and he gets into fights and there's always a, a pretty woman who's around. So, the, the main character named Jake Cardigan. What a name. Why did he Love pick it. that name? I don't know why he's called that. And no one ever comments on it. That's the other thing. You're no named after a sweater, a you know. <laughs> okay. The story takes place in the near future, not the far future. And mm-hmm. he's an ex-cop who plays doesn't play by the rules. Um, and he has to solve something uh <laughs> what is the plot about well tech t-e-k right is a word for um of like virtual reality technology okay that, you know like you put the thing on and it kind of taps into your brain and um you get to live your fantasies it's sort of like a holodeck but in in uh virtual reality mm-hmm. form. you know it's not a room that you go into and people get addicted to it and then they go crazy or something and um there are tech dealers and apparently the name of this book, Tech War, is about the war between the, the tech dealers. 
Oh, okay. So it's like a drug war. It is, except that there isn't actually a drug war happening. There is no war. Oh. Like, it's so you're waiting like for the whole book. It's like, when's the war part going to happen where people are shooting at each other or we see, you know, like intrigue and stuff that never, ever happens. Um, this is a book about it's about the, a main character who does nothing throughout the entire book. This became apparent as I was kind of halfway through it. And I was waiting for him to do something. Stuff happens to him, but he doesn't do anything. He He's not an antagonist where like he causes things to go in motion people tell him to do stuff and then he goes and he'll talk to someone and then plot things happen but he's never the catalyst for anything that happens and he doesn't actually solve the whole thing in the end somebody else does Mm -hmm. it's very frustrating yeah (laughs) he's the hero of the book and he's completely inert he just kind of goes from place to place and other people do things and it's so weird. So I don't know what Bill's idea was originally. Like mm-hmm. if there was supposed to be more to this character and maybe in the subsequent books, he actually ends up being more action oriented, but mm-hmm. it's, it's a very strange book and the writing is just not good. The really interesting thing for me too, was that when Bill wrote this, so how old was he in 1989? He was 50 something. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he clearly modeled Jake Cardigan on him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, he's very much the, the main character of the book. When they got around to filming the, the movie, they made a TV movie out of Right, this. yes. He was too old to play Jay Cardigan, who's supposed to be, you know, 35 or mm-hmm. something. So he had to, to cast himself in a different role. And in the book, Jay Cardigan is hired by um, a guy who runs a private detective agency, and his name is Bascom. And in the book, Bascom is like this very weird sort of fey character. You know, he Cardigan goes into his office and it's all filled with shit. There's stuff piled all over the place. And mm-hmm. Bascom is sitting cross-legged on his desk meditating. And he's wearing like really weird, brightly colored clothes. And he's, you know, like you don't take him very seriously, even though he is a serious character. He's given mm-hmm. all these very quirky qualities. So in the movie, William Shatner plays the role of Bascom. He does not play it like that. Suddenly, Bascom is transformed into this very mysterious, I pull all the strings, I'm dressed in these very fancy, expensive suits, and I'm more manly than anybody else in this entire movie because William Shatner is playing that role. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's really weird. It's like he just sat down and was like, well, I have to do this. I can't be that character that I wrote in the book. I'm going to have to reinvent him. Too silly for me. So that's a whole different thing. And the, the movie is also not good and it has a lot of very bad special effects. Um, if you want to read the book, which you may want to do for joke enjoyment, uh, <laughs> or if you want to read it and listen along to the podcast, which is quite funny, um, the book is incredibly racist. So I'll just point that out right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, part of it takes place in Mexico mm-hmm. and all of the Hispanic characters are like Speedy Gonzales. It's really, really bad, really bad. Um, it's just kind of horrifying in some ways. So yeah, <sighs> there's that. Um, so there's, that's tech war for you. Uh, I, I have the other books, but I don't think mm-hmm. I want to read them. And yeah. I can You've done enough. <laughs> I can get the other movies, but I don't think I want to watch them either. Yeah, but yeah. I can't believe I can't believe that they did nine books and that people bought them, because 
they wouldn't have been able to do nine books unless mm-hmm. somebody was reading them, right? Yeah, yeah. And that they got to do, um, what is it, four TV movies <sighs> and then a series. Like a oh, one, wow. one or two oh, seasons worth of TV episodes. Yeah. Around this totally ridiculous concept. Hmm. It's just really, really weird. So if anybody has either read Tech War or watched Tech War, I would love to know what you guys think yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. It um, was... Go ahead. It was entertaining, but but like it's just so bad, so bad in so many ways. <laughs> um, now you made me think of something. I have, um, I want to talk very briefly about a bad sort of sci-fi book, and mm. then I have good news about a book we liked. But okay. um, here's the bad sci-fi book. As you are probably aware, in the past year or more, there have been more probably a lot of uh, novels about apocalyptic things happening mm-hmm. now, you know, mm-hmm. not 200 years from now or whatever. And one that got a considerable amount of buzz last year when it first came out was The Cabin at the End of the World. Okay. Okay, so, you know, I put it on my wait list at the library and it finally came available. There was a long list. And so I read it and it's crap. <laughs> and the thing is, there's these people, I think there's four of them, I've lost track, who um, go to somebody's, you know, cabin for a fun weekend, and then other people, oh, and one of them's a little girl, right, other people show up, mm-hmm. and they they tell the original four people, well, I'm just going to tell you, you know, I'm not going to be sneaky, so spoilers, um, in the next two days, you guys have to decide to kill one of you and do it, otherwise the world ends. What? Yeah. So the hook they're hanging this on is so stupid. And it goes from there with, um, you know, lots of fighting and, and people being killed, but never making the, you know, never the original people making a decision and killing one of themselves. And it's got an open-ended ending, which usually I like. But in this case, it's like, okay, I've slogged through this. I want to know, were these four people nuts? Did they really hear a voice telling them this? Is it God? You know, Uh nothing. It's crap. (laughs) Okay, so stay away from that one. Okay, thank you. Uh, I will take it off any list I may have have had it on. So that was my public service announcement. Mm, Good. But here's the good public service announcement. One of the, you know, they're all in the business now of grabbing up science fiction and fantasy, mm-hmm. good, good novels, good classic novels, and making them into miniseries. Guess what they're doing? And I forget who's doing it. Um, I know. Which one? Red Shirts. Oh, finally. Jeez, that thing has been under option for years. Yeah, I know. Well, somebody's doing it. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Oh, good. Good, yeah. good, 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 good. I hope they do a good job with it. Oh, I, hope I really fine. do, I too, because I know we both thought that was a really good book. Also, oh, one of my cool. favorite books is um is going to be starting up in May. It's miniseries of uh, Good Omens mm-hmm. by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. And yes, I like that book a lot. And it's got now they've announced that Benedict Cumberbatch plays Satan, but it's oh, yeah. it's got um David Tennant 
and now I can never think of this actor's name, but he always plays the British Prime Minister in the movies like <laughs> The Queen and and those things. I can't think of his name. He's very good. But anyway, so uh, there's that to look forward to as well. It's, I saw that's the pictures very of, funny um, book. I saw the pictures of, of Burger King chicken fries as Satan, <laughs> and he's got a very obnoxious-looking mustache, uh, which I guess is supposed to make him look like more of a dick than... You know, he might normally look, so that was interesting. <laughs> Satan has a mustache. Okay. Apparently, yeah, apparently. Um, and one other thing before we take our break is that just the other day, uh, I saw the first piece of advertising for the Amazon Lord of the Rings series. Mm-hmm. And all it was was a map of Middle Earth. And there is one phrase, which is three kings for three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Ooh. And that was it. So it's like, and of course, everybody was immediately speculating, what does that mean? When is it going to be set? You know, is it just going to be about the three elven rings? What's going to happen? So it's not the Tom Bombadil show or (laughs) career day in Hobbiton? Well, maybe. I don't know. It's Mm. hard to say. It's supposed to be on for five years. So there's a lot of room for them to go. The thing that people keep saying now is that it's going to be a young Aragorn series. And, um... I heard that they're going to be filming it in Scotland instead of New Zealand. So we'll wow. see if that's also true. Okay. Who knows? Wow. It's well, early days. Well, this is non-sci-fi. Well, it sort of is. I don't know. Uh, this is the thing I'm most excited about coming up, and I just found out about it this week. It's, oh, I just forgot the name of it. <laughs> but it's the movie about the musician who suddenly ends up in a world where the Beatles never happened. Have you seen the coming attraction on that? No, oh, my it. God, I cannot wait to see this. And apparently, all over the Internet, there are people going, oh, my God, you know, and I'm trying to get, like, my college roommate to come to town to watch it with me. But it opens in June. Oh. And isn't that when you're coming here? Uh, it might be. I can't remember. We're going to, so I'm, I'm going to Chicago for a little vacation because we're going to go see Hannah Gadsby. I know. I'm so excited. So, uh, we might also get to see that. And, oh man, I'm so excited about the name of the, the title of the movie is the, uh, the title of a Beatles song, but I can't think what it is. Oh, we'll have to look it up. Maybe we'll, we'll do that while we're having our break and then we can. We can give that information to Oh, okay. So should we take our break? Let's do a little break right now, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about loads of discovery because there's a lot. Yeah, we jammed a lot into that first half. We did. We're so efficient. (sighs) Let's take a deep breath, (laughs) and we'll be back. We'll be back. (laughs) Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook and leave us a comment. Tell us your Trek news. And now we're back in the show. Isn't Yay. that amazing? So the name of the movie is Yesterday, the one about where the, the world where the Beatles d- didn't exist. Yes. Just so everybody knows. I'm so excited yeah. for that. And if okay. any of you know anything about it, don't tell me. I really do not want spoilers. Mm. Yeah. 
Oh, and it was, as you said, it was directed by the guy who did Slumdog Millionaire. And that's a movie I like, too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now we have two episodes of Discovery to talk about. Um, the one that was just on and the one that was on before that. So episodes four and five. Um, my initial reaction to episode four, and I can't remember what it was called, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. The titles um, on Discovery are really strange. They're very hard to remember. Yes. Um, so it was the one where Saru thinks he's going to die. Right. And also they encounter a giant sphere as they're chasing Spock across the galaxy. Spock still hasn't shown up yet, by the way. I'm mm-hmm. getting a little tired of the, oh, is it going to be Spock? Is it going to be Spock? No, yes. we're not going to see Spock yes. again. Like, is it a, a hoax? Like maybe Spock isn't actually going to show up in this series at all. Mm-hmm. Or he's going to be in it for five minutes and then he's going to be off again. So, okay. Anyway, um, I have to say it was the first episode of Discovery that I wasn't hugely enthusiastic about. Mm-hmm. It was fine, but there were things about it that really bugged me. So the thing that bugged me, number one, was the Saru is going to die plot. Mm-hmm. Because he wasn't. Yeah. Like, obviously. he just wasn't. There was no way he was going to die. And even if he did die temporarily, he would come back by yeah. the end of the episode. Yeah. Because they just they weren't going to kill him off so for me there was no tension in that mm-hmm. whatsoever not for one second did i think he was actually going to die and i i appreciated all the amazing acting that everybody was doing you know burnham was so upset and mm-hmm. everybody was feeling bad and doug jones was great he was so good and everything but it just didn't resonate for me because i knew it was all fake and that he was going to be fine in the end right so. I, I really thought that they could have gotten to that resolution without, oh, Saru's going to die. No, he isn't actually going to die. Um, so it, let me yeah. ask you a question. Yeah. Because now the, the episode is coming back to me. And um, I know from the little bit of communication we had before recording and when it was so fresh in my mind, you said you did not care for the episode and i said it was really playing a lot of the classic trek cards mm-hmm. so did the yonada episode in classic trek bother you because you knew mccoy wasn't gonna die you know it's very hard for me to have the same reaction because i can't remember the first time i saw that episode mm-hmm. so my my only memories of it are that of course he's not going to die, but I know that, and I know that going in. So I'm not watching it for plot. I'm watching mm-hmm. it to see the performances and the, all the other stuff that's happening. Just, you know, in the way that when you're watching any of the Star Trek episodes where there's mortal danger, like even Amok Time, you know Kirk's not going to yeah. die. Yeah, that's true. So it's more about how are they going to resolve this rather mm-hmm. than, wow, tension. With Discovery... They did introduce a character who died suddenly, yes. and other characters have died. So there's, I mean, there's always the possibility that somebody could die, but I knew it wasn't going to be Saru because Doug Jones is like one of the main cast, and he's not just going to get yeah. killed off. So it, it, I just, it's a different kind of reaction because I'm, I'm watching it fresh, but um, I, I still do have that reaction even watching original Trek or TNG or whatever, when a character is in danger and you know, they're not going to die. It's like, oh, come on, don't let's not pretend, you know, mm-hmm. it, I don't know. That, so that's me. I, I read a bunch of reviews and a lot of people thought it was good and they were very taken with the whole emotion of it. So, um, you know, it's just my, my cynical, uh, hardened little black heart that didn't get into it. Okay. <laughs> 
So that's me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing about the sphere plot, mm-hmm. which was interesting, but very, as you say, it was very classic track, right? Yes. Like they encounter something. They don't know what it is. They think it's an enemy. It turns out not to be an enemy. And then there's some good resolution. And uh, again, like, I didn't think the ship was going to get blown up. I really didn't. Right. Me um, neither. Because, yeah. So there was no tension about, is the ship going to be destroyed? The tension was more... How are they going to solve the problem? Which yes. they did through cleverness, which was good. Um, and the whole thing with the languages and the universal translator going crazy—that was great. Oh, I, really I loved that part. That. Yes, it was so good having all the people speaking different languages. That was really kind of cool. Um, but I didn't. There wasn't a lot of emotion around the sphere. Mm-hmm. So they're telling us. They're telling us that it's super old and it's got all this information and it's going to die and it wants to, to download all its information to someone else. But you never felt like it was like, I didn't feel sad that it was going to die. Mm-hmm. Even though they said it was like, not just mechanical, that it was some kind of semi sentient being. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel emotional about it the way I have felt emotional about beings in other Star Treks mm-hmm. where, you know, it was a, a very old creature that was going to die. I, it, I didn't feel the way I felt about the Horda, you know? Mm, okay. And and for me, I think that they were sort of trying to do a parallel. It's a creature that you think is going to be um, a, a threat and then it turns not, out not to be right. a threat. But I, I just couldn't get engaged with it because the sphere didn't have a personality. It didn't communicate. It didn't speak with its own voice you know it was right. just kind of there it was very abstract yeah so, so it was fine but i wasn't i felt like they could have done more to engage mm-hmm. the viewer i.e me so <laughs> well i also think the sphere thing which i thought was very cool um the solution or you know when we found out what it really was was it's been there since like the beginning of time mm. and oh it downloaded everything to them so it's like there's an incredible bunch of knowledge there that maybe mm. it's going to take <clears throat> Starfleet and every scientist in the universe many, many years to dig through it all. But mm-hmm. it almost kind of, you know, says, well, you know, what's the point then of uh, <laughs> trying to find out anything about, you know, how the Big Bang happened and how the universe formed and, you know, all this stuff. Uh, when we could basically look it up, the information's there. Exactly. I wouldn't it be great if if that came back around in a later episode? You know, where they were like, "Oh, we're going to have to go to this unknown sector of space or investigate this thing," and then it was like, "But we've just decoded this section of the thing that we got from the spear. Yes. The spear from four episodes ago. Yeah, look, we've solved it. Yeah, like, that would be super cool if they did that. So I hope that they." They do that because mm-hmm. that would be great rather than just saying, yeah, we just downloaded the entire history of the galaxy, but we're never going to refer to it ever again. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that that kind of, you know, I didn't have a, a like a negative reaction to the to the episode. But, yeah, it wasn't, you know, like, oh, boy. And mm-hmm. about Saru dying, Um. They said, or he said, or somebody said, that his um, ganglia, and I love that word, fell off. And I was watching the show, and it looked more (laughs) to me like they faded away. Yeah, it was really weird, wasn't it? It was a very strange effect. It didn't look like they just, and it didn't, well, I couldn't tell what she was doing with the knife, Mm -hmm. but it didn't look like she really 
touched the knife to him? Yeah. I don't know. And then the, the ganglia disappeared in, into yeah. the mist of Brigadoon or something. <laughs> so the, the, the two really interesting things about that episode were um, the whole Tilly subplot, which got carried along really nicely in the episode that we both just yes, watched. Yes, I love with, Tilly. Tilly's great. It was so good. Everything was great. And mm-hmm. uh, May, I love May also. Yes. Like, that actor is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the whole thing with Saru is now the puzzle of, you know, why were his people believing this for so long mm-hmm. and who are the predator species? And he had that one line where he said something like, I, I can feel my own power or something. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, maybe there's a reason that his species was not allowed to feel this power or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I mean, yeah. maybe it's going to be some kind of superpower and it might not be good. Or, yeah. I mean, there could be a lot around that. That was very intriguing. So I wanted to see how that's going to play out. And it looks yep. like next week's episode is where we're going to find out what happens. Well, about Saru, I love the character. I love the actor. But one of the places I think they failed is, okay, he leaves his world. He is the only of his species to leave that world that we know of. And their whole thing is they're driven by fear. And Mm -hmm. it's not just that their ganglia start tingling when they're going to die. Uh, They are driven by fear. Fear is their core motivation. Well, like the minute he got out of the familiarity of home, wouldn't he have spent the rest of his life curled up in a ball? <laughs> you think so? You know, the, we we didn't see, but, you know, that happened, let's say, many years ago. But there's never been any reference to what he had to go through mm-hmm. to become what he is. Yeah. They talked about it. And a so bit. now I'm wondering, yeah. like you are, does he have superpowers? But um, what... Is that character going to change? What's going to happen there? Yes, exactly. He, he talked a little bit about it with Burnham, where he was saying part of what lifted him up was seeing all the other, uh, did he use the word refugees? I'm not sure. Um, mm-hmm. People who the Federation was taking care of, and that really made him determined to sort of be the best Saru he could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you'd think that he would have to go under like significant psychotherapy or something. Something, to, yeah. Yeah, be able to do it. Um I guess we'll find out next week. I guess we will. Yeah. I liked him being sick and sniffly and, and, and sort of short yes. with everyone, though. That was really funny. He I mean, played just being that like, having a cold so thing so well. Mm-hmm. You know? We never saw an alien with a cold. Mm-hmm. It was very yeah. funny. Yeah. He's a great actor. Really good. He really I, is. I, I was thinking in the scenes where they show him with his shirt off, like the, the makeup people were mm-hmm. probably wanting to kill themselves, having to apply all that stuff to him. Yes. For how many days they had to shoot bad yep. enough that they have to do his hands and his whole head. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, no, the body as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this week's episode mm-hmm. was all about rescuing Tilly. Um, spoilers, they did. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what? The ship didn't get destroyed either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was really glad that they, they had a, a cool, interesting resolution to the, uh, you know, is the, um, is the discovery damaging the spore network, mm-hmm. which was resolved kind of, but not really. Um, 
it seemed like maybe there was more to the fact that they were doing these jumps that was damaging them rather than letting through the monster that was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, killing them. So I, I would like to see them have a little more resolution on that. Yeah. Um, and then we had the subplot of Section 31 coming, and we got to see lots more of Georgia, which is never a bad thing, right. in my opinion. And that first scene between her and Pike... <laughs> sparks, sparks everywhere. That, and I'm, I'm not talking about unresolved sexual tension. I'm just talking about bing, 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 sharp dialogue. Oh yeah, so yeah. good. So let's talk about Pike and how much we love him because mm-hmm. he is just wonderful. And I noticed in this episode, I, I got to see if he was doing it before, but he definitely had some, um, some Kirkish. Mm-hmm. attitude towards him especially when the and i keep wanting to say enterprise when the discovery was being affected by the the spore network and mm-hmm. it was all bad and he had that look on his face that kirk used to get like i'm so annoyed that things are happening to my ship i am that so I angry right like now he's like woman, yes oh yeah it's like furrowed brow he's like stamping around yep. the bridge like and i was like yep. yes he's definitely doing that so that was super cool i loved seeing that i i i love pike um, I love what this actor's doing with him. Here's my objection. Mm-hmm. I wish his name wasn't Christopher Pike. Because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so far from canon. I mean, mm-hmm. so far. Mm-hmm. That totally. it's like, this actor and the captain he's playing, I would be perfectly happy if it was like, here's the new captain of the Discovery. Mm-hmm. And it's this guy, but I'm sure they're going, oh, no, we can't put a handsome white guy in the seat again or whatever the thinking is. But I do have a theory about what his arc is going to be. Oh, please tell me, because I have no thoughts about what oh, his arc is going to be. Okay, so probably in the final episode of this season, mm-hmm. um, there's going to be a battle. There's going to be a terrible accident, and he's going to end up in the beep, beep wheelchair. Oh, and Aww. that will break my heart. Oh, me too. Because he too. is such a, a valuable character and really kind of pulls them all together like a captain should. Mm-hmm. He is. He's, he's a great captain. Mm-hmm. Like when you think of starship captains, this is the guy, and, and like Kirk, this is the guy that you think of, mm-hmm. um, you know, not the guy from the movies, right? Mm-hmm. This is somebody who commands the respect of his people and makes the right decisions and enforces authority on his bridge, which Mm -hmm. I was really happy to see, you know, like he's the guy in charge and don't screw around with him. And listens to the ideas of his subordinates, Mm -hmm. you know, when they present, we could do this, you know, okay, give it a try. You know that. Um, Yeah. I also liked when, um, after he talked, he was talking with Georgiou and then he had a little conference with Burnham and he was like, you know something, what the hell is going mm-hmm. on here? And she's like, that's a longer conversation. Which I thought a good that was, that was great. Um, but I like that he, he, she was like, you have to trust me. And he said, okay, but don't make me chase you for that information. Yeah. Like. That's what you do when you're an authority, right? Mm-hmm. You trust somebody. Yeah. You, you're like, all right, um, I'll do this the way you want to for now, but at some point you're going to be answerable. To well, me. it's like trust but verify. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, he was awesome. Now here's a question. Um, I thought that everybody knew that Georgiou died. 
Um, you know, in one of the articles I read that I think li- maybe I linked to, um, it said something like, wow, it became really clear that Pike has no idea what went down last season. Yeah, so I I understand the Enterprise was away <laughs> doing things. Right. You'd think he would have heard. Well, I mean, would he have heard? Well, yeah, yeah. I think especially if he was coming to take over the Discovery. With Burnham. He would have had a 15-minute briefing that was like, here are the people who used to be in charge. Here are the people who are on the ship right now. And next to George's name, it would have been a big, you know, Dead. red X. Yes. Yeah, that, that deleted And then he something. would know Burnham was this galaxy-wide famous traitor. Yeah. Did they not brief him at all? That seems I impossible. I, I can't believe that. And I can't yeah. believe that um, number one, who we saw for just a few minutes, uh-huh would not have briefed him also like that's her job is to make sure that he knows everything that's going on right um i did like her and i like the fact that she was getting a cheeseburger and a shake that was also (laughs) good um so i'm really looking forward to seeing more of her yes okay now i have to bitch about section 31 (laughs) i love seeing Giorgio, but throughout this episode People kept popping up out of nowhere, mm-hmm. and it was all due to Section 31. And also, they seem to have bought into the James Bond gadget mindset mm-hmm. in that they have these incredible capabilities like disguising themselves as a meteor or whatever um, <laughs> yeah. that nobody else has. And that's kind of tiresome. Um, and then when the Admiral just shows up, I was going, where the hell was she? And why are people just using communication? Why does she have to be there in person? Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. that, and th- yeah, so, so that was bugging me. But here's also, they had a real chance to do something with Section 31 that I wish they would have done, which mm. is, um, they said something, they sort of described what it does, and they didn't make it sound like, these are the people who do the bad shit. When In that brief description, it sounded like, uh, you know, these are mission specialists, and they go and check mm-hmm. on these things, and they, you know, provide information and all kinds of stuff, and I thought, that would be a great way to start. And, and if they're going to have a Section 31 arc, which I'm assuming they are, because Giorgio's getting her own show. Mm-hmm. How, at what point did they turn and become kind of like Starfleet's dark side? Maybe that was her. Maybe so, but she joined up right away. And if it was really this undercover agency that does more or less acceptable things, mm-hmm. she wouldn't have been interested. Well, maybe she saw it as the one place in, what did she call it, this insufferable universe? Yes. That was hilarious. But Um, the other thing, either from, you know, they never mentioned Section 31 in TOS, so maybe it was TNG mm -hmm. or something. I have been under the impression that very few people knew about Section 31. This is correct. And so So when, you know, she flashes the badge, it's like, whoa. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Nobody, Mm -hmm. hardly anybody knew about it. In fact, I think on maybe on Deep Space Nine or whatever, they had to explain it to people like Section 31. Mm -hmm. What the hell is that? And um, so there's that, that everybody knows about it. You know, in Um, the stories I wrote, I had Brant being a member of Special Ops. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people thought that was Section 31. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, not in my mind. 
No. But well, if it turned dark, I would think at some point, I mean, really dark, Starfleet would disband it. And that mm-hmm. would be the point at which people would stop talking about it and wouldn't know, oh, yeah, it's still going on. But now they're independent and doing whatever the fuck they want to. <laughs> um, they called it black ops, not special ops at one point. Okay, so, but in my stories, it's called special ops. Right. Uh, so, I'm, and it's I'm very just, small teams. You know, yeah. things where a starship you you don't do with a starship. You know. Right. Right. So, w- whatever the difference is between black ops and special ops, they are calling Section Thirty One in this episode black ops. So mm-hmm. take that for what it is. Yeah. Um, but I could I could sort of see that, um, you know, Georgiou saw this as the one place that she could take over you know yeah that's that would allow her access to all this great technology like she could just be a pirate or you know go to orion and and trade and do all sorts Mm -hmm. of things and maybe amass her own little fleet but that would be very limited whereas if she could take over section 31 and make it into what she wanted it to be she would have a, like almost unlimited power given right. you know all of this technology that that seems to be unlimited mm-hmm. um, so maybe maybe that's what's going to happen eventually i don't know well the thing is they should have had a different starting point for mm-hmm. section 31 or for her or something cuz one of the things that's never that is not clear to me is, okay, Giorgio's dead. Does Section 31 or whoever know where this Giorgio came from? So apparently the guy who's her boss, Leland, does know. She said that. Okay. Because Burnham asked her. But he seems to be the only one who knows. Yeah, so... so I, I don't know. I mean, who? what is the number of people who know where she's from? Uh, it's Leland, it's Cantwell, uh, not Cantwell, what's her name? Uh, Cornwell. The, mm-hmm. the Admiral, um, Sarek, Burnham, uh, uh, Ash, I'm counting. I, mm-hmm. Are there more? Maybe not. Maybe it's like them and two other people. Who know? I, I don't yeah. know. It seems, it seems like it's a, a pretty well-kept secret. So I hope that she continues to be awesome because I love her mm-hmm. and she's just so good and <laughs> just her little asides are so snarky. Oh, I know. So funny. She's, she's you know? great. So she's, what do you, what do you think of Ash coming back? I don't know. I, I don't know what he's going to do. I mean, they sure wrapped up that whole Klingon storyline super fast. Hey, I'm fine with it. <laughs> if we never see the Klingons again, I have never cared about the Klingons or the Romulans or the bad guys in Star Trek in general, except as, you know, they're fun guest stars like, like Q and Trelane and things like that. But, um, I don't want to get involved in their politics and their history. And Uh, no, I, I don't want to either. I, I think I was thinking more, you know, he, at the end of last season, left and he was committed to going back to the Klingon homeworld to mm-hmm. kind of make things better and then the whole thing happened with uh, Laurel and the baby mm-hmm. and then he had to leave and everybody thought he was dead now he's not dead well this seems Klingons to be a trope <laughs> yeah he's not actually he's not really dead he's not completely dead no, I'm um, not dead yet not dead yet but and at some point, assuming you know things go on, the Klingons will find out that he's actually not dead. Mm-hmm. But 
that was his main motivating thing in his entire life. He was prepared to spend the rest of his life doing that stuff with the Klingons, and now he's not. Like, well, okay, okay. done. I'm yeah. doing something else now. Does He doesn't yeah. seem to have any regrets or anything. It doesn't seem to tear him up inside. You know, the one, um, one thing he did, I don't know if this was the actor's choice or if they told him to, and I thought it was so great, was the way he pronounced the name of the Klingon homeworld. Oh, yes, that was wonderful. Oh, I was like, oh, how cool, you know, to give us just that little reminder. Mm -hmm. It was a very nice touch. It Um, was. So I don't know about him. I don't know what they're going to do with him. Uh, Big spoilers. I was happy to see Culber come back just because I like him. Mm -hmm. It was nice to see those two guys, you know, get back together. Mm -hmm. um, I think they could do a lot with their relationship and with him as a character and, uh, I, I liked the parallel between him coming back and Tilly losing May. Yes. You know, yes. It, it was it was really well balanced in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was nice to, to see a character that we haven't seen for a long time back on the ship. I hope they let him stay. I, and I think he is a part of it now or part yeah. of it again. Although, um, yes. in, in the real world, if that ever happened, right? Mm-hmm. Starfleet would whisk him out of there so fast and then be like, well, buddy, you're spending the rest of your life telling us about the, what happens in the, the Spore Network. Right, because, right. You know, it's like, they're not well, just if he would spend his ship. entire time in there trying to stay alive and putting these bits of the tree that's poisoned to <laughs> the spores on himself, I don't think he knows too much about what actually goes on there. Oh, but, but you know, Starfleet would just be like, I'm sure we'll get this information out of you at some point. Yeah, so you're, yeah. you're staying here. <laughs> um, I got to tell you, my heart just broke for Tilly, you know, mm. when she lost May. Yes. And I loved that wonderful scene of her and Burnham at the end. Oh, that was beautiful. And so beautiful. So, played so well. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the things I read said, you know, everybody hates Tilly and she's so annoying. I'm going, who? Who no. are these people? I find Tilly very interesting simply because she's not in that mold of the perfect young ensign or or whatever Mm -hmm. and the fact that she's not perfect is not really being played too much for laughs like it sort of was with Chekhov Mm -hmm. you know no she's great she's she's so she's so relatable to use a Mm -hmm. terrible word but she's not super competent you know she's She's getting there she's growing yeah she's growing and she's learning and and yeah that 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 scene was amazing it was really so well played Mm -hmm. by the two of them and because now we know her better and we know about her life and everything Mm -hmm. that's happened you really felt how important that was to her right well lose her friend her one friend her one friend friend. yes um also last season with mirror tilly (laughs) we got a nice taste of that this actress can do more than be sort of a um a pet mascot (laughs) to discovery that there there's stuff going on there and i'm really hoping they're going to keep up that development for her me too. It was great. Um, I, I was just thinking as you were talking about Mira Tilly, the other thing I really enjoyed was um, when Burnham gets up in George's face and is like, if you do anything to my brother and mm-hmm. they're, they're like so close. And the two of them as actors, they're about the same size. They're mm-hmm. both really small, right? They're like five yeah. feet tall. But, you know, they're just like having such a stare down and you mm-hmm. can just feel the tension. That was awesome. Yeah. I love just having them staring, have a stare down. That was great. Oh, I got to talk about 
when Giorgio stepped out of the shuttlecraft. <laughs> I gasped. I actually gasped. But oh. I have to tell you what I thought was going to happen and what I was praying was going to happen. Okay. I thought new beard, hairy guy Spock was going to step out and Burnham was going to say, that's not Spock. Oh. I, I just had this feeling oh. that's where it was going to go. And that's part of why I gasped when it wasn't even Spock at all. <laughs> They're really teasing that. And one of the articles said, this is the worst Spock tease I've ever seen. You know, much great, worse than Search comment. for Spock. <laughs> totally. I also love that Burnham, like, held her phaser on Georgia longer than I anybody else. know. <laughs> that was really good. Um you mentioned a couple of Wrath of Khan things. Oh, and, yes. Um, I totally agreed. Like, as soon as they were about to follow the, the shuttlecraft into the nebula, yeah, like, I we're going to lose them in the nebula. I was like, oh, did that already happen? Didn't Wrath of Khan? Well, um, <laughs> yeah. And the, the apple, I mean, if anybody in Star Trek bites an apple and bites it like that, mm-hmm. it's very Kirkish. It's extremely Kirkish. And I, I, you had said this in an email, but when Burnham is rushing down into engineering, she almost, almost slides down the ladder, but not quite. But she doesn't. She sort of goes down a couple steps and jumps, and, and then she, mm-hmm. but it was like, okay, I understand that, you know, they don't want to, like, deliberately mimic Kirk. But I'm thinking mm-hmm. that, to me, when, when Shatner did it, was such a genuine thing of oh, if you're yeah. in this environment of any sort of ship where there's lots of ladders, that's mm-hmm. the quickest way to get up and down. You don't only do that when it's an emergency. That's how mm-hmm. you go down a ladder. Exactly. I, and I love that too because, well, for one thing, Bill did it so competently. Oh, yeah. It, it made He made it look like he does that all the time. He does all his say. own stunts. He does his own <laughs> stunts, but also he made it look like Kirk slides down these ladders every day. Yes, because... that's what I was getting at, that it's yeah, not a, yeah. a unique, wow, look, the Admiral slid down the ladder moment, you yeah. know. Um, but it was so, it was graceful and it was sort of effortless and um, shows you how much Kirk knows his ship too, yes. right? Like he would not hesitate to take the quickest way from point A to point B, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And he knows what that is. Yes, of course he, he does. And he loves it. Yep. Like a woman. <laughs> oh, the other thing. Didn't Pike say, I want no more holograms on this ship? Yes. So No, he said that about the Enterprise, not about Discovery. Really? Yes. He was talking to number one, and he specifically said, when you get back to the Enterprise, get rid of that stuff. I don't want it. Oh, okay. All right. Because I was going, what is going on? Yep. Okay. I remember that, and I remember that he was specifying, it was like, my ship. I don't want holograms on my ship. Yep. Well, this was an episode where there was so much going on. Oh, my God. It was just packed. Every Mm -hmm. minute was packed. It really was. Here's my one one niggling complaint about this episode. And I know why it happened, but they're up on the bridge, and they're like, we have three nanoseconds left <laughs> to do whatever it is, you know, like clocks count down. And then we cut down to engineering and Culber and Stamets are having this very tender moment. And I'm looking at my watch. Oh like, yeah. 
uh, three minutes, four minutes, mm-hmm. five minutes. Okay, the ship's blown up now. Yes. Everything's done. You're like, all dead. I, they're all dead. And I understand why they do it. But what I don't understand is when the writers are doing this, why don't they just give them more time? Like, Why don't they say, okay, you have 10 minutes. And then the conversation in engineering takes five of those minutes. And mm-hmm. then, you know, like just pat it out a little bit. You don't yeah. have to do that because... I, I feel the seconds ticking down and then they're over and then I'm like, well, yeah, the ship just blew up. Mm-hmm. I wish they wouldn't do that. That, that annoys me. Oh, um, let's put in some real science here. This just oh, occurred please. to me. I uh-huh. read most of an article the other day that uh, there are scientists who have a theory that the Big Bang, not the show, <laughs> but the real one, <laughs> produced what they called a mirror universe. <gasps> Wait. Where time runs backwards. Ooh, and I, thought, I don't understand oh, how that could work. I don't either, but that's where Merlin's from. Wow. Time runs backwards. I I can't even wrap my mind around that. But that's a cool concept. It wow. really is, yeah. Well, I had to stop mo- reading when they got into and this is why we think <laughs> that, because it was like, What what? Those are big words. A techno babble? Where are we? You know, so anyway. I, I am totally willing to buy into the whole multiverse concept. Oh me too. Not? You know? Sure. Me too. And I I am very sad that we are living in the the part of the multiverse where um we have a moron for a president who I think is mm. gonna destroy everything. Um, yeah. You know, because I, I guess I was always a little like Dr. Pangloss thinking, and this is the best of all possible worlds. Yes, there's other offshoots and everything, but this is good. And now I'm going, hmm, we're in the the bad universe, the one people <laughs> don't don't want to visit and don't want to stay in. <laughs> it's where they get it's where they get sent when they've broken some law or something. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, yeah, you have to go all, live on this what, shitty planet. What did we <laughs> all awful. do? Yeah. Oh my God, I think you're probably right. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, anyway, all right, we have to wrap this up. I but know. I did want to mention a thing that I totally forgot to talk about. I okay. guess last time, which was that. Um, I went to uh, a couple of the events here in San Francisco for Sketchfest, which is the thing they have in January. Yes. And um, one of the things I went to was called um, Futurama Outtakes, Celebrity Outtakes. And it was at a very small comedy club, which was really cool. And I wasn't quite sure what was going to happen. So this is what they do. And I highly encourage people to go see this if you like Futurama. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and you just want to have a really good time. They, this is a thing that they tour with. So um, up on the stage was David X. Cohen, the creator and the producer. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy West, one of the voice actors who does many of the voices, including Fry and the professor. Okay. Um, Maurice LaMarche, who does uh, many different... He's most famous for doing like his Orson Welles imitation. But he's also <laughs> the guy who started Talk Like William Shatner Day. Oh, Okay. Um, and he's done loads and loads of voices. And then they had um, the guy who does Bender. Um, what's mm-hmm. his name? Ah, it's just escaping me. John. I forget his last name. Okay. But um, so it was the three of them. And then they had a couple of guests come in as well. And I'll talk about one of those guests in a minute. And what they, they have is a wheel. And they spin the wheel. And um, the wheel is to different celebrities. Uh-huh. And when it comes, to, like, it'll hit on a thing. Like, it'll do Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. And... The, the voice actor who does Orson Welles will then perform 
partly from memory, but partly from script, one of the famous outtakes. Now, for Orson Welles, you might have heard them where um, he was doing a commercial and Mm -hmm. the director was kind of giving him a hard time and they end up arguing with each other. So this is a real thing. You can Mm -hmm. go listen to it. And it's the voice actor doing that performance. Oh, so he's not necessarily like doing uh, Futurama as Orson Welles? No, no. Oh, okay. So it's just these celebrities and and celebrities that have been on Futurama. I think that's why they were Mm -hmm. calling it Futurama celebrity outtakes. And it was so funny. It was just so good in the moment to hear them doing these things. And you kind of can't believe that the real audio of this stuff exists. (laughs) Yeah. One of the guys did Casey Kasem. And um, I'm sure you've heard the outtakes of Casey Kasem, who's like swearing up a storm when he wasn't getting to do. And to hear them do that live was just so funny. So the best part was, of course, William Shatner was on Mm -hmm. the wheel and it finally got to it. And they were going to do the famous outtake of Bill um, being directed by a guy Mm -hmm. and and finally making the poor guy nearly cry because he's like, oh, no, I'll just do it the way you want me to do it. You're the director. You tell me how you want me to do it. Yeah. No, why don't you, you show me how you want it. And the poor guy's like, I'm sorry, Mr. Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> so they had a special guest to do the part of William Shatner. And that guest was Kevin Pollack. Who wow. Was just, yeah, he just showed up and was like, okay, here I am. I'm going to do William Shatner. And it was amazing. Oh. It was so good. It was really, really, really funny. And to, to see somebody do it live and to hear him like mm-hmm. put those Shatner inflections in there. And, you know, I've listened to that several times and it's so clear that, you know, Bill is having such a good time humiliating this poor engineer. Oh, yes. Oh, oh my God. It's so funny. It's so goddamn funny. So that was great. I yeah. had a great time and I, it was Shatner related and it was wonderful. So, yeah, I got to see them do it live. Kevin Pollack. It's great. You know, a show I have always wanted to see and they do it only like once every few months whenever they feel like it and I've never been in New York when it's been going on is called Celebrity Autobiography have you oh, heard about yes, that? They had that as part of Sketchfest as well oh. and I, I could not get to see that one but I, I have heard it's amazing. Well yes. I'm wondering and I have been wondering for some time have they ever done any of the autobiographical books that Bill has written? Oh, I wonder. But they, you know, it's other celebrities. Like I know uh, Mario mm-hmm. Cantone has done it frequently. Um, and they read them. They're not mm-hmm. making shit up. They are reading like what Raquel Welch wrote in her <laughs> autobiography, you know. And yeah, oh, I think it's such a great idea. It's awesome. Wow. Good. Well, hey, let's let's all hear it for going out to see live shows. Because live shows are great. That's yes. right. Yes, absolutely. They're really good. All right. Well, this is very long, so let's finish. Okay. Um, so thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for your thoughts and all the stuff that gets posted on Facebook, which we absolutely love. Yes, indeed. Um, we will be posting more things as it happens. And send us your thoughts about uh, Tech War and about Discovery and what you think is going to happen to Captain Pike, because we would like to know what your predictions are. That's absolutely right. And don't forget, live long and potluck. Live long and potluck. We'll see you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye.